0: This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Near Death Experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? There's you no know, reason for it. You better go sometime. Hello, welcome to the Sam Reads Near Death Experiences podcast. Thank you so much for listening today, um, wherever you are around the world. I was actually looking at some of the statistics on the, the podcast, and this really, I mean, there are people listening around the world. I'll, I'll just read some of the countries uh, here at the top of of the list here. There's United States, Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, Spain, Mexico, Germany, Japan, Netherlands, France, Singapore. It, it goes on and on, but it's just absolutely amazing. So wherever you are, um, I hope you're well. Thank you for listening. Um, today, today we have an interesting, I guess, series of near-death experiences to go, go through. This is kind of a, a unique case in that um, this man, Timothy, has had several near-death experiences throughout his life. Um, and so they, are, I guess they're stretching from a period of, of 1983 to 2004. He has some kind of heart condition that often um, uh, causes him to have these near-death experiences, and there's, there's quite a bit of variety in them, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun to to explore them and get to share them. Um, this is coming from the ND, nderf.org website, Uh, a website we often use to to draw uh, near-death experiences from, I highly recommend you go check them out. They do amazing work at at sharing these and and asking great questions about them. So uh, there are a couple of emails that he has um, shared along with his story that were, I suppose, um, emails with the uh, owner of the site just to give a little more information. So... That is a very good thing to have, and it sheds some light on some aspects of his experience. Um, and so, yeah, this this had uh, a couple very interesting uh, images and symbols that that we can get into, and, and uh, very uh, some of common features of other near-death experiences to compare with. And so, this was a absolute uh, a pleasure to read and. I hope you really enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. It was um, the just the different experiences he have. It's just there are some very beautiful moments within it. So um, we will just dive right in. This is Timothy's near death experience. I just want to start off by saying I have a condition that causes my heart to shut down. And almost stop beating. The condition has a very long name that starts with cardio and ends with syncope. When this happens, I have out-of-body or NDE experiences. I can't say it always happens, but I suspect I always have an experience, but I just don't remember all of them. I have recollection of four different experiences. My first episode of this was when I was age 17. I had just gotten my wisdom teeth out and was recovering at home. I got up to go to the bathroom. I heard two thuds and then I was in another place. The place was made of light and love. There were robed beings of light who were taking care of me. My parents heard my body fall in the bathroom. They broke the door down and brought me back here. My mom told me that I was white as a ghost with no life in me at all. It really scared her. I didn't know what to make of the experience other than that I knew it was more real than real. I just tucked it away and went on with my life. My next experience happened at age 29. My stepson and I were on a four-wheeler ATV I was driving and he was on the back. We were going down a hill pretty fast, and I remember braking because we were going too fast to make the curve at the bottom of the hill. Something happened with the brakes because the next thing I remember, I was standing on the hillside. Beside me was the four-wheeler turned upside down, and I saw myself lying face down underneath it. I didn't pay much attention to that scene because coming toward me from across the creek in front of me were two beautiful golden wispy glittering lights. The lights got on either side of me and transformed into two beings. They were at least eight feet tall, human-looking beings with pinkish fair skin and Dutch boy haircuts. One had straight platinum blonde hair and the other had yellow hair with a bit of a wave to it. They both had white robes on. I was in awe. We went up very fast, and in the blink of an eye, we were in this wondrous place of bright-colored landscapes. There were beautiful plants and grass. All of this was alive, like they were conscious plants. That's the only way I can describe it. It was a place full of joy that even the plants were happy. There was a white walled city in the distance. There were some domed buildings on the other side of the wall. The two tall beings sat me down on a bench and told me I had to stay there until they were done talking to another very tall, slender, male person with short dark hair and who was dressed in a dark one-piece outfit. When they came back, I was told that I couldn't enter the city. I was devastated because I wanted so badly to go into the city. I asked if I could come back here, and they replied yes. They were very gentle and loving with me, but firm. Then I was sucked back into my body. I was underneath the four-wheeler, and my stepson was trying to get it off of me. I don't know how, but I raised up off the ground and threw the four-wheeler off of me. It went tumbling down the hill fortunately neither one of us were seriously hurt but i was pretty sore and banged up my stepson didn't have a scratch on him later he told me that we slammed into the bank beside us and he flew through the air and landed unharmed i have to say that this experience profoundly affected me i knew it was more real than real I couldn't stay there despite badly wanting to go back. I was angry and very sad for years, thinking that I may never get to go back there. I have had a lifetime of heart problems. As I'm writing this, I have survived six heart attacks, several stent placements, a quadruple heart bypass, and I have a defibrillator pacemaker implant. I had a spell of ticardia at work that prompted me to be taken to the hospital. They performed a number of tests on me to see what brought that on without success. In the process, it was the tilt table test in which they found I had this cardio condition. I failed the test. But when I did, I left my body to find myself in a twisty turning corridor. Above was this beautiful multicolored light that was good and full of love. I was chasing it. I wanted the light so badly that all I could think about was to get to that light. As I was gaining on it, then all of a sudden I pulled up out of there and above the area. I realized that it was a giant labyrinth. I was sucked back into my body on the table. I opened my eyes. The doctors were asking how I was. They told me I had failed the test in the worst way they had ever seen. All I could think about was how furious I was to be back there. I just didn't want to be here. My next and last NDE was the most profound experience ever. I had been having severe abdominal pain. So much so that I had to go to the emergency room a couple of times. Then one morning, I awoke to the severe abdominal pain. It was worse due to the severe diarrhea and dehydration that was life-threatening. My condition triggered a syncope episode that would not stop. I was fighting to hold on to consciousness. It was so bad that my wife at the time had called 911 and a squad of first responders were on the way. I fought to stay conscious until they could get here. They took me out of the bathroom on some kind of wheelchair. They wheeled me to the gurney and asked me to stand up and get on it. I told them I couldn't stand, so they said they would help me. They got on both sides of me and helped me to stand. I found out later that my body had fallen to the ground. My eyes were wide open, and my mouth was making gurgling sounds. Yet I was instantly in this place of golden light and pure love. I was standing in this area of light without boundaries. The love was incredible. I saw a group of people made of light. I wondered who they were. As soon as I thought that, they instantly came to me, There were about a dozen people, and two of them came closer to me. One person was a beautiful woman with auburn hair. She was dressed in a white robe and radiated light from her being. She was powerful, in charge, but full of love. The love surrounded us, and it was in us. We were all connected in the love light. We began to communicate with each other. Instantly, I knew all about her, and she knew all about me. Then I realized that I was home. I knew everyone, and they knew me. I'm crying as I'm writing this. Every time I think about it, it makes me cry. This woman was my grandmother, and the male that was with her was my dad. It was not so much them as I knew on earth, but who they really are. They were the beings I've known for an eternity. They loved me so much, and I them. I realized this is where I'm from, and where we're all from. I remember that part of me has been away here on Earth, at school. They were so glad that I was back. They admired me so much for being gone. I knew so much instantly that I don't remember anymore at this time. I can only speculate that I can't know it in the physical state I'm in now. There was a flood of information, images, and knowledge. I inquired about Jesus. The answer came instantly. He is who he says he is, and he's coming back. I inquired when. I got the answer soon. I was under the impression that they didn't know exactly either they were excited about it. I kept getting a vision of an old farmhouse. It was dear to me, but I don't know why. I learned that we come here to earth many, many times. I pretty much knew there were other places too besides earth. We come to earth to learn to grow up. We learn far more here than we can there. The pain and joy that we suffer here teaches us so much about love and goodness by experiencing the lack of it. It's a powerful lesson we have to learn. I was informed that I was only going to be there until they got my body fixed up enough to where I could inhabit it again. I was devastated, again. I didn't want to go back, but I had to go back. They laid me down in my body when the woman reached in to kiss me, I was suddenly pulled away and left with one final message, trust in the Lord. I was sucked back into my body. My stepson was standing over me and shaking me, yelling, Dad, Dad. I was in considerable distress. They had my feet above my head and couldn't get a blood pressure reading and my heart rate was 30 beats per minute. They ended up airlifting me to another hospital where I spent several more days. I'm missing some days. I have no memory of them. Years later, I was in Tennessee with my mom, daughter, and sister. We got lost in the country and pulled into a drive to turn around. There in front of me was the farmhouse from my NDE. The house was exactly the way I saw it. And I haven't told very many people, but that beautiful, auburn-haired woman, who was once my grandmother, is now my granddaughter. It's just something I know. Email 1 When I say inquired, that's just the way I can relate to the situation. It was as if I was connected to a part of a vast wealth of knowledge. I was able to access this when the woman in my last NDE came in direct contact with me. Everything I wrote down is pretty much what I know or can recall. I can say that when I hear people talk on the subject of life and the subject of why we're here, my soul resonates when I hear the truth. I just know it is the truth. It's more of a subconscious thing. When I came back from my last NDE, I was in poor physical condition. I don't remember much about my stay in the hospital. I didn't remember everything about my near-death experience like I do now. My memories came back to me a little at a time. I don't pretend to know it all or have any great wisdom. I just know at the time of my NDE, I was connected to something that was all-knowing and I was able to bring back just bits and pieces with me. I know there was so much more. I liken it to a person with amnesia who suddenly wakes up and realizes who he is, but then loses it again, yet was able to keep a little bit of it. Actually, writing my experiences down on your site helped bring it all back to me. I guess I've repressed it because when I think about it, I don't want to be here. To be honest, I've been brokenhearted about being taken away from there. I know I'm here for a reason, and I'll get to go back home when I'm done here. It's just that I miss it so much that it sometimes makes my life here harder than it probably would be had I not been back home and had to come back here. Part of me wishes I didn't remember any of it, I wished I would have dug deeper into the information I had at my disposal, but I was just so overwhelmed with joy throughout the whole experience. I felt overwhelming love, peace, and a sense of relief and extreme joy were common denominators in all my experiences. It's hard to have had that and then have it taken away. From time to time, I'm still visited by the presence of that love. It covers me and consoles me, helps me to continue on my journey here. Email 2 I know who Jesus claimed he was from the Bible. He claimed he was the Son of God. The answer I got confirmed what I already knew as a Christian. It was a confirmation that he's coming back to earth. The energy I felt was excitement. The other side is waiting with anticipation for this to happen. I understood that it's going to be a marvelous event. The woman held her hands up and put them together, interlocking her fingers, much like a quarterback does when he's calling for a huddle. I understood that to mean that these two realms, here and there, are going to be one. I felt a sense of excitement and wonderfulness, I asked when this would happen and all I got was soon. They didn't know exactly when. That's when I felt like they came over the top of me as if I were lying down. She reached in to kiss me and I was rapidly pulled away, almost like I was going down a drain. I heard an audible voice that kept telling me to trust in the Lord. The Lord to me is Jesus Christ. I felt myself being sucked back into my body. That's how I describe it. Think of a vacuum cleaner at a car wash. How it sucks air, but when it encounters something large, it plugs up the airflow with a thud. It's like a jolt. It's like that when I come back every time. Email three. Reincarnation was something I just knew. Other schools of learning existed but I can't say if I had been to one or not. I knew this wasn't my first time here on Earth. I knew I was much older and part of something way bigger than myself on Earth. I know that we are immortal beings, having to live successive mortal lives, but I don't know why other than to learn and grow. I know this school will come to an end with the return of Jesus. I feel like there is more but I never got that information or I'm not supposed to remember it. I wish I could make more sense of my experiences. In all my NDEs, I really wasn't given any instructions other than to trust in the Lord. Talking to you about this and writing it down has brought my experiences back to me. I was really hesitant to do this, but I'm not in the best of health. On top of the heart condition I have, I've survived six heart attacks, one was massive and another was major. I have several stents and have had quadruple bypass and I have a pacemaker and defibrillator implant. The bypass surgery is approaching 10 years out. That is about how long it's good for. I've already had to have one of my bypasses stented. So I know I've probably not got a lot longer to be here. It's hard to remember my experiences because it just reminds me of how good it was. Honestly, I've probably went through some of the worst times of my life since my last experience. I guess I just want to have a record of it before I leave here. Maybe it will help somebody. Okay, so that was Timothy's near-death experiences. Um... There's a lot that I'd like to go through, so I'm going to do my best to try and stay focused, <laughs> keep it brief and and try to to move through cuz he he wrote a lot about his various experiences and I thought it's pretty cool that, you know, when we've gone through these different stories before, it's not often where we have multiple different experiences in one kind of one episode. So I guess that's kind of where I will start is mentioning that it's kind of fascinating that he had four different experiences that he can remember. And he kind of talks about how his his memories of the experiences have kind of gotten better with time that once he's come back immediately, it's kind of taken him a little while to remember the di- different aspects of these Experiences, but how they're all kind of different. Some are are a little more detailed than others, like particularly his last near death experience that he went through. But uh, I, I think that's interesting that you know even we talk about the differences in in you know uh, people's near death experiences from around the world. <laughs> you know, one person's is going to be different from another's, but here we see. Different experiences for one person, you know, for a single individual, he has a, a sequence of of these different NDEs throughout his life in different circumstances, and and they all kind of have a similarity of of you know, definitely being having NDE aspects, but they all kind of present things slightly differently. The uh, I would say that they all contain you know that that love and peace that is so common in near-death experiences, and that's kind of a through line, although it seems to be presented in different ways. Um, Right off the bat, I want to try and get through a couple interesting features of his near-death experiences before um, we talk about some of the images that came up in in some of his experiences. Um, The first being uh, the... He's kind of explicitly um, mentioning that, uh, talking about reincarnation, um, which even though he, uh, as a self-professed Christian, that's not exactly a tenant of the Christian faith, but uh, it's clearly emphasized in many um, near-death experiences, not only of you know of people who who believe in reincarnation, but people who you know, didn't really pay it any attention because it wasn't part of their religion, and yet he uh, clearly kind of says that that's kind of how it works, that we are... Uh, there's this kind of very common characterization of of the purpose of life that we get from near-death experiences as being some kind of school for us to grow up and learn. And I... that It's a fairly fairly common way of that uh, near-death experiencers describe our our purpose in being here now why we need to do that I'm not sure Uh, it does not seem to to me when we say to grow up and to learn that doesn't strike me as as um, being too far off the mark of saying that we're here to become more conscious or to grow our awareness to grow our consciousness to be ...become who we fully can be, I suppose, which is interesting in a psychological sense. But um, to what purpose our, our growth and our, our learning is, is to God and to divinity, I, I don't know. And I don't think anyone really knows. Um, there have been several near-death experiences that we've gone through before that have suggested that there is some kind of divine plan... That is being enacted, um, which is interesting, but it's very mysterious. So um, another feature that we see in this near-death experience of Timothy's is that there's kind of an instant knowledge and instant communication, particularly when he's uh, he talks about this when he's uh, talking with his uh, grandmother, and that's another thing: meeting a dead relative, um, meeting his grandmother. This. Um, kind of angelic being with auburn hair, and he says there's kind of a flood of information and images and, and instant communication that he instantly knows all about her, and that his grandmother and his dad that he meets uh, in this afterlife realm are not exactly how they look or how they looked when they were on Earth, but kind of their they are their essence in a way, which is interesting. And so we see this instantaneous communication, instantaneous knowledge as another feature of near-death experiences that is quite explicitly mentioned in this NDE. And uh, I thought it was interesting how he said that it's kind of like they're not, that he's not capable of bringing that information back, which is something that we we hear quite a lot, that it's like so much that um, it's very hard to express. Um, and then there's a a kind of a synchronicity kind of um, situation that, that occurs that during his, his final near-death experience, he keeps getting this image of a farmhouse um, over and over again, and, and that's significant to him. And, and sure enough, he mentions that um, he's after his he's driving through Tennessee with his family. I wonder if he's nearby to where I am. <laughs> I wonder if he was outside in Nashville. But um, he's driving around um, with his family, and he he they turn the car around in the driveway of this old farmhouse, and it is the farmhouse that he saw in his near-death experience, which is, you know, interesting that we kind of have a, uh, according to Timothy, a kind of... a. Precognition, this this vision of the future of something that um, that he was going to see. Now, it, it's not entirely clear if how this farmhouse is significant to him, or how this seeing it actually changed him. So that's kind of unclear, other than the fact that he he saw it and in, in his experience, and then actually saw it in the real life. You know, so. That's that's I guess a a question I would ask is is it, if that farmhouse has had significance to him since then or if it was just kind of a wow kind of moment um, and it's you know very amazing to <laughs> see something um, and <laughs> see something in real life that you saw within you um, prior to having ever seen it so that is is pretty pretty cool and then. Um, there's the I guess this kind of knowledge that he has that his granddaughter is his reincarnated grandmother that that he had that experience with which is interesting I don't know he didn't mention how old his granddaughter is or if they've had any interactions of that kind of I don't know um, express that relationship that they've they they had in that experience but i I thought that was fairly interesting that's um kind of unique and 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 you know uh fascinating that you know there's this idea that emerges out of near-death experiences oftentimes that you know we we are close to certain souls and these souls can as kind of a soul family that you know, they can reincarnate and as, you know, people change their roles around where, like, you know, a great-grandfather becomes a son and, like, a, a friend, a close friend becomes a brother or something. You know, it's... There There are certain near-death experiences that allude to that, that we, we are close with these certain beings and they we kind of, um, I guess, stay in each other's lives in different ways. Um, even into to into other lives and 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 kind of a continuation past death, which is a really you know very cool idea. And he is told um, as he's coming back, the the kind of wisdom that he is he's given is the last thing he hears is is, is to trust in the Lord, which is interesting. Now he is a, a Christian, and he asks about Christ and. Uh, receives the answer that Christ is who he says he is, which is kind of it's it seems kind of cryptic in a way um, because that I guess it's saying that he is the Son of God, but it's it's a very direct validation of his beliefs, which is is not something you always get in a near death experiences. So a near <laughs> death experience, singular. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. Um, I think towards the end we'll we'll talk about some of the imagery that it, that comes up from that discru- uh, that discussion of uh, the return of Christ and what that might mean. Um, first, I I wanted to talk about one of the images that came up, in, I believe it was his third near death experience, where he is in a labyrinth. Uh, reading that made me want to do a little bit of research on labyrinths because um, I just kind of had the basic knowledge of, oh, the labyrinth was that maze that the minotaur was in and Crete. That's, that's about all I know. Um, so I did some research and I was very surprised to see um, what a widespread and kind of... Um, Worldwide image, uh, the labyrinth was because I I really just associated it with Greece and Greek mythology. Um, so, for those of you who might not know, the labyrinth was this maze that um, the uh, King Minos of Crete he uh, I guess he had this uh, <laughs> he had this uh, monster bull half. Half man, half bull, called the Minotaur, and in order to contain this beast, he had the uh, kind of master craftsman, Daedalus of the Icarus and Daedalus story, where the guy flies too close to the sun and his wings melt. And yeah, that Daedalus, uh, he has him build a maze to contain this this beast, and and then Theseus, eventually the the hero Theseus, kills the Minotaur, uh, with some help from Ariadne, who was uh, the daughter of King Minos. So it's a very rushed version of the story. But um, uh, really uh, what I wanted to get into is just to try to describe how um, widespread an image and symbol that this this uh, the idea of a labyrinth or a maze is and, and try to... Uh, see how it is depicted in Timothy's experience, and and kind of do like like I often try to do, try to ground his experience in in the in the human experience of mythology and religion and and um, you know our our past, our history. So what is so we have obviously the. The Greek example, but there are, are many others which um, have popped up as I mentioned. So um, there was apparently mentions of a, a Egyptian labyrinth um, from the historian Herodotus. I'm not sure if they actually found any evidence of that, but in um, Herodotus in the uh, book two of his histories he describes a, a labyrinth in Egypt. Um, now, there are many images of labyrinths that go back, you know, as far as a couple thousand years. I mean, very, very old stuff. Some uh, rock carvings. Um, there is even a, um, a labyrinth design in the New World, in the Native American people, the uh, Tohono Odohom. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The Tohono Odohom people in Arizona so they have a uh, a legend of their creator god and his his name is it itioy it's Itio. it, it's kind of got a very interesting spell spelling so i hope that's right um and he's referred to as the man in the maze i i wanted to read uh one of the kind of stories about what this uh how this creator God um, came into being and and what their mythology is, because it's very interesting and it might help us to to understand more about this image that appeared spontaneously, um, autonomously, in, in Timothy's experience. Okay, so I'm going to read something here. According to Odoham oral history... The labyrinth design depicts experiences and choices individuals make in the journey through life. In the middle of the maze, a person finds their dreams and goals. When one reaches the center, the individual has a final opportunity, the last turn in the design, to look back upon choices made and the path taken, before the sun god greets us, blesses us, and passes us into the next world as told by Alfreda Antone. Elder Brother lived in the maze, and the reason why he lived in the maze was because, I think how I'm going to say this, a magician or, oh, medicine man that can disappear and that can do things, heal people and things like that. That was Elder Brother. Say hey, they called him. He lived in there, but he had a lot of enemies, so he made that. And to live in there, people would go in there, but they couldn't find him. They would turn around and go back. But in real life, when you look at the maze, you start from the top and go into the maze. Your life. You go down and then you reach a place where you have to turn around. Maybe in your life you fall. Something happens in your home. You're sad. You pick yourself up and you go on through the maze. You go on and on and on. So many places in there you might, maybe your child died, or maybe somebody died, or you stop, you fall and you feel bad, you get up, you turn around and go again. When you reach the middle of the maze, that's when you see the sun god, and the sun god blesses you, and say you have made it, that's where you die. The maze is a symbol of life, happiness, sadness, and you reach your goal. There's a dream there, and you reach that dream when you get to the middle of the maze. That's how I was told. My grandparents told me that's how the maze is. So that was a description of, of how it kind of fits into their, um, how they view the maze in relation to their religion and spirituality. The uh, God himself, uh, he's a creator God, and I guess he, he lives in this maze, and, and people have to go in and, and try to find him. And if you get a chance, uh, this might be kind of hard to find, but this their symbol for this maze is absolutely incredible to look at. It's very interesting. Um, it's kind of this flag, and it's a perfect circle with... Um, well, it, it looks like a maze, but there's, it's kind of got different uh, thickness to the lines and stuff. It's a very cool symbol, and and... You know, I only, this is very interesting to me because it's, you could make a case that, you know, the various mazes and labyrinths that you see in Europe, there's many in, in, uh, in Britain, in, in the UK, and they have hedge mazes and, and Troy towns, and they have a couple different names for them, turf mazes, uh, these patterns kind of even, you know, just like, dug into the ground of these mazes, these very interesting shapes and and sizes. And there are many in Scandinavia. There's some even in the uh, uh, Russian Solovetsky Islands, I believe, which are supposedly very old. Um, but the fact that we have examples in in North America and South America, I mean, that just shows the the kind of ubiquitousness of this this image, the kind of archetypal nature of, of this um, idea of a maze is something that uh, is very symbolic of, of what it means to be human. Now, it seems there are people, uh, anthropologists, historians, don't exactly know what these mazes were used for. Um, for example, some of uh, it seems the uh, mazes and labyrinths in Scandinavia and Sweden seem to be associated with, I guess, folk stories of they, they'd be near fishing villages, coastal areas, and they'd be outside the, the city or the, the town, and the fishermen would would go through the maze and get to the center, believing that there were some kind of evil spirit following them. And then by following the maze, getting to the center, and then walking out, the fisherman would trap that evil spirit in this maze, and then he could go fish successfully. And I guess that's kind of the same idea that you get from the idea of the, the minotaur in the Greek example, that the, the labyrinth was built, built as a way of containing something evil and, and uncontrolled and unconscious um, perhaps as a way of containment and confusing this, this monstrous force. But he, here, clearly, in this Native American example, this is uh, something more in line that we we see uh, as per- perhaps more relatable to um, what it might mean in Timothy's case, that it is something that is uh, symbolic of life and our journey through life. Um the, the, maze of trying to get to the center and, um, and, you know, all the obstacles that we, we face, you know, we'll think we'll be going one direction and <laughs> sorry, it scared me. My girlfriend just sneezed. Um, we will think we'll be going in one direction and, and then have to turn around and something in our life will happen and, and our life will be turned upside down and we'll, you know, it's, it's it's symbolic of the human experience of going through life and reaching that center at least in the um, in the Odohelm case represents meeting the God or meeting um, perhaps psychologically the totality of of one's self. Um, and there's even I, I suppose it's kind of a new age approach to mazes that that they um, people nowadays might walk them for meditation, for um, as a way of kind of, uh, I guess, relaxation and meditation, getting in touch with oneself. That it's kind of relaxing to walk around and and go around to find that center. That it's kind of a physicalization of of a, a psychological process and mentioning that you know Timothy was a Christian and and we have clear indications of of Christ in this near death experience there is also a a rich kind of history of uh labyrinths and mazes being used in the context of Christianity uh particularly in the cathedral at Chartres Chartres I'm, my French is terrible but <laughs> the cathedral at, at in Chartres? Chartres I I don't know if you look up labyrinths, you'll see it. But it's a, there's a very famous circular um, labyrinth associated with with that cathedral. And, and I guess some of the ideas surrounding it might be that it represents the path to Jerusalem and that you would c- kind of walk it and pray as you went along as a kind of pilgrim's road to, to Jerusalem. And... Um so that's a very interesting idea, and, and particularly that we, we have this image being applied in multiple religious contexts and multiple times, from, you know, the Middle Ages back to, you know um, the first thousand years uh, uh, BC. Um, you know, it's, there's quite a, a wide variety, a variety that this image can be applied to, this symbol and And here we have it popping up in 2004 in a spontaneous um, experience um, of Timothy. And what's interesting about Timothy's experience of the labyrinth is is not that he is necessarily trying to get to the center. and And I, I find that very interesting that he's not. He's not trying to reach the center of, of wherever this this labyrinth is. He's he's following this beautiful, multicolored light, and really, the direction that he needs to go is up, not not you know. He's no longer on a plane of 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 earthly existence, having to find his way through life. He is the, the what what he is trying to get to. He has to ascend to. He has to. Um, i don't know go into be spiritualized in some sense to reach this multicolored light which i found very uh, an interesting solution to the maze is you don't it's not that you have to find your way through it but the moment of death the reconciliation with with god is is a lifting from the maze which i thought was was very beautiful um okay so we We can ground an aspect of one of Timothy's experiences in a rich kind of history of of symbolism that that has been applied in in many different religious contexts around the world. So I I think that's very interesting. And and as I kind of mentioned that the the maze and the labyrinth representing one's life that's that's kind of it's kind of the same idea of, of a mandala uh, of uh, kind of an image that represents one life. one's life particularly in the uh, Buddhist and, and Hindu kind of traditions the idea of a mandala is an image that encapsulates uh, the totality of of I guess one's being and and um, perhaps uh, the to, the totality of of being itself, um, these uh, apparently mandalas are often associated with with the idea of the um, total self and, and dreams, and and that they they kind of express themselves as as a symbol which unites all these different opposing uh, tensions and opposites, and in in some ways you can you can also make the case of of the idea of a city being a, a mandala image or, or kind of like um, a symbol associated with that kind of uh, totalizing aspect. Like uh, I was reading a book by uh, this a religious historian, Mercia Eliad, and he was talking about how... Um, most people's mythology around the world begins with a forming of a world, and then for the people themselves, it's a um, a planting of a uh, of like an axis or a pole to to found a, a city or a, uh, a a sacred area that that they kind of build their city around. And many many cities are built with around a circle or a square. Which are often associated with mandala type of images, and uh, the reason I'm getting into this is that we we have uh, allusions in, in Timothy's experience as well to this idea of a city, um, and even to the idea of the return of Christ, which is um, uh, well <laughs> very uh, pr- prominently discussed at, um, in the Book of Revelation and the idea of the apocalypse and second coming and all that. So all of this imagery is kind of wound up um, with with one another, this this kind of mandala image of the totality of of life and and being. And and we have the the maze and the city. He he mentions in his, I believe it was his second near-death experience that he he sees this kind of white city in the distance and he wants to go in and this is some something you you see sometimes in, in near death experiences there's a, a beautiful crystal or white or glistening city that um is in this heavenly realm and i I guess there's <laughs> there's a lot of different things that you could go into with that it's um what it <laughs> I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but it's very interesting because it's like there's an idea for many different cultures and and people that certain places on earth can be sacred, that certain places you are close to God or close to demons or, or whatever the... A negative pole of of divinity is um, many places it's like mountains or or a, a certain crossing of a uh, of rivers or something that or in the perhaps the caves entering to the underworld that um, people in various cultures th- throughout history have worshiped certain places as divine. and perhaps psychologically, what this might mean is that, in these places, people had a greater uh, closeness with themselves, with with the part, uh, unconscious half of themselves that um, uh, materialized it as divinities to them, and and um, spoke to them. And you know, people could have full on conversations with deities. I, when I went to Peru, I learned about the Incas. They they had certain areas where they there were rocks, certain stones that um, the Inca would speak to, and they would the the stones would speak back. Now, to our modern <laughs> kind of rationalistic um, way of thinking, that's just pure nonsense. Like they're talking to rocks. Like what does that mean? But but if you take the idea of of an unconscious part of ourselves. Being actually autonomous Of of having its own um, Kind of spontaneity And agency uh, That can manifest In our dreams and things like Near death experiences Um, For instance if you speak to someone In your dream and you don't know what they're Going to say back Well I mean you could see How that logic you could uh, apply That in a psychological sense To saying that in certain Places people felt uh, perhaps more integrated with themselves and could converse with a part of themselves or a part of divinity. It, it, that line is very blurry, and I can't say where it is, but um, the fact that we we tend to, uh, I suppose, um, spread our psyche over the physical landscape is very interesting, that, that we... In certain places, we can be closer to ourselves or are pl- closer to God in a way. And it seems like the the reverse can be the case in in near death experiences that we we kind of apply, we spread a material kind of uh, concrete material aspect to something that is spiritual and 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 psyche that we. Uh, he is in a f- beautiful field and and there's a city in the distance and and it's kind of the reverse of of the way it is on earth where um here we spread our psyche over the landscape and and in a near death experience we spread a a landscape over our psyche or or soul or divinity whatever whatever you want to call it and and I find that a very interesting idea that you know, heaven and hell are not necessarily places, but states of being that we we kind of fill with with imagery and and concreteness that we um, bring back with us from from this time that we have here on earth. And so, the idea of a city um, being one's totality of oneself is is interesting. That that in a near death experience, that we want to. Or at least in Timothy's case, to to be able to go back to that city, and it sounds like he, throughout his life, has felt a lot of of pain and anguish and 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 you know very negative feelings from being separated from that. He mentions that there have been a couple times where he feels that loving presence come back over him, and that's that's like a godsend in a way, and perhaps literally like a godsend. So. We, we crave this uh, reunification with, with the totality of, of, of divinity of God. Um, and, and that seems to be what comes across in near-death experiences, that, that there's a often an um, uh, intimation of a merging with the light. And uh, it doesn't seem clear whether once we merge with that light, once we enter that city, once we cross that line, once we open that door, if if we continue as individuals or not, um, or whether we join with uh, the the we are the drop of water returning to the um, symbolic ocean of, of divinity, or, or, or so to speak, um, there are you know many ways you can describe it, and people use many metaphors and similes to to try to capture this very inexpressible kind of experience um, and so I'm, I'm taking <laughs> taking my sweet time here but um, finally we get um, I guess we'll kind of wrap up with the idea of, of he is given confirmation of the return of Christ um, although the the experience is very interesting in that they they don't really reveal any of the details of of how this event is supposed to occur. Um, now, having read many books by Jung and and kind of a very um, psychological approach, um, I, I'm currently reading a book on the um, on the apocalypse, and and so there is uh, it's by um, an uh, psychoanalyst named Edward Edinger. Um, and he is kind of going through the book of Revelation and it's very interesting and um, what he suggests is that perhaps a uh, a return of Christ psychologically speaking is the unification of the conscious and unconscious mind of of we becoming fully ourselves of a um, a a reunification of of heaven and earth, of man and God, uh, coming together. Um, I don't know what that would look like. Whether it would be some kind of flow state where we have a perfect balance of instinct and full awareness that that is operating through us, or uh, it's very fun to kind of think about what that. Would be like although you know it's kind of impossible to say but um there are many uh mythologies and and uh even dreams that point to a kind of coming together of of man and god or or a perhaps a a, a return of the uh return of Christ within us um as a um, i don't know a deification of of humanity, a redemption of of us taking our full uh, our full possibility and capacity to be more than than what we are now and and to be of use to to God and perhaps that is an end in a way. Um, and so. Uh, another thing I found very interesting is, and I'll probably end with this, is the idea that, um, well, the true meaning of the word apocalypse, we often think of a, uh, in very um, literal terms of the end of the world of Christ returning in the sky and, and all these plagues and um, suffering and uh, this, you know, Complete catastrophe of the the end of the world, Armageddon, people being um, tortured and all that. There's there's a lot to go with it, and um, it's definitely something that is very interesting to learn about. But um, the word apocalypse means to, at least in Greek, means to uncover um, or to reveal. The um, let me pull it up here. Uh, Apo means un, and Kaluptian uh, means to cover. And so it means to a kind of revealing of what was hidden or a, an uncovering of of what has been going on. And, and I, I think that's a very interesting way of framing it, because we usually picture just the, you know, doom and gloom and doomsday and and hellfire and all that stuff, but really, what it, a true apocalypse is is to uncover and uh, to reveal what has been hidden, perhaps to to get to the center of the maze, um, to be, um, reunified with or rejoin with with God, um, and in that sense it seems like each near-death experience is its own apocalypse, that people gain this flood of imagery and, and knowledge and see what is truly there without the filters of our senses and all this material um, stuff that we're trapped in, that a, a near-death experience or a spiritual out of body experience is a true apocalypse and in the in the definition of the word the the true meaning of the word it's a uncovering of what is there and i think that is well we will all get to experience that at some point um and whether we come back or we don't you know that's what we're here to to go through and we're we're supposed to find our way through life and and I think that's just um very profound and and I greatly appreciate the courage of people like Timothy for wanting to share their experience and to uh, I hope that we can find it useful and and be able to learn from it and as he says in and at the end of his his near-death experience. It's if it could just help, you know, somebody, then it's it's worth it to share it. So, um, many thanks to thi- to Timothy for for sharing it, and thank you for for listening. and And uh, I hope you found this interesting and engaging. So we will end there. And um, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can do. So at um, by sending me an email at samreadsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. Got a couple episodes on YouTube. We're up on Spotify now. Um, I believe I got the podcast up on Google Play Music. If anybody uses that, I don't know. But I think it's on there now. Um, please leave a five-star review on iTunes because that really helps us out. And if you'd like to support the podcast, um, you can uh, check out my Patreon page. There's a couple couple cool things that, that you can get for, uh, for choosing to support the podcast, and so I really appreciate that. Um, so now we will wrap up with a quote on death. Okay, so this is a quote from one of my favorite poets, the Sufi mystic Rumi. Um, I hope this is a real quote and not just some random internet nonsense because it doesn't really have a citation here, so I hope it's, <laughs> I hope it's real. But regardless, I, uh, I, I like it. So um, I don't know what, what poem it's from or what book it's from, but I, I do like this quote. Goodbyes are only for those who love with their eyes, because for those who love with heart and soul... There is no such thing as separation.